Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. It's rare that the problem is someone isn't ambitious enough. And it's rare that someone isn't hardworking enough. Staying determined and committed to your plan, even in the face of risk and uncertainty, can be a real predictor of success. What you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out how this ambitious, hardworking team is going to navigate where clearly the challenge is ahead in building something, because building something new is so hard. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. When you're starting out as a business, getting the right support during those crucial early days plays a pivotal role in whether a good idea can reach its full potential. Today's guest has been providing that expert guidance for many years. On this episode, we're sitting down with Ross Fubini, founder and managing partner of XYZ Ventures. XYZ was founded in 2017, making investments in 105 companies across seed and growth stages. And as an organization, they look to support founders who have uncovered a unique insight and show immense velocity in their execution. XYZ is primarily focused on enterprise, fintech, infrastructure, climate, and the public sector. Ross sits on multiple boards, including Sardine and Legion Technologies, and has made several successful early investments currently valued in the billions, including public sector focus Anderil, security provider Verdaca, and New Front Insurance. Previous to XYZ, Ross co-founded Village Global and was an investor at Canaan and Kapoor Capital. He is currently an advisor to executives at Palantir, with XYZ backing over 20 Palantir alumni across the public sector, enterprise, and fintech. Let's enter the arena with Ross Rubini. Thanks, Tom. That intro always makes me sound like I'm a thousand. Yeah, no, I know. Well, you've gotten a lot accomplished like in a small amount of time, but uh, obviously everybody's first question is, tell us the story of XYZ and the origin of the name, because uh, it's one you never forget. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. I'll tell you two things about it. The first is it really harkens back to and references just math, you know, X, Y, and Z coordinates, you know, there's position, velocity, and momentum. And I really enjoy that. The, the other rubric is related to math is it's about family for me. And, you know, my grandfather was Assistant Secretary of Defense under Kennedy and Johnson. My great-grandfather was the primary mathematician who worked with Einstein. 
at Princeton. And so they were both tremendous, tremendous people. And, you know, my grandfather spoke 12 languages. He's got PhDs under Fermi. XYZ is a, is a nod to that. And the sort of funny nod to it is that, like, I'm never going to get anywhere near that. Like, these guys were just titans of uh, the respective industries and areas and defined categories in the DOD and in the broader math universe. Again, for those math folks, uh, the, the Fubini theorem is a very common use in three-dimensional three calculus. And that, that idea of putting a dent in the universe is part of it. That's an amazing story, Ross. And I think that maybe some of that DNA kind of came down to you, right? You're doing great and kicking ass. What inspired you to focus on early stage companies and kind of tech forgotten industries. Two things. One, my own experience is so I'm an engineer by training. Uh, I worked at Netscape uh, in the very early days on the original browser company and some role defining businesses there. But really fundamentally, I, I'm an entrepreneur and I really love the founding journey. I've now been doing venture for over a decade. And the thing that I always sought was to be unique in my value. And Tom, I just never wanted to be, I never wanted to be famous on Twitter. I never wanted to be a banker. I wanted to have unique value. And the unique value I can have to early stage companies is very simplistic, which is my job is to be there to help them raise the next round of of capital. And so I can do the most work, have the most impact with very early stage companies because by being involved these intimate days, Given my founding experience, I I know how to build the company and I can combine that with my experience of how to build capital and really be part of like the growth trajectory. So that's just what I love. And one of the reasons I love it is because then I can have a real material impact in in my role as the investor. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think in the the later you get, maybe the more of a financial person is involved at your stage, I have to imagine you're doing everything. You know, you're helping an entrepreneur who probably is very gifted with with a great idea, but may not know what they're getting into. Is that kind of accurate? Are you kind of really coming in, kind of laying the foundation, really doing everything? Yeah, you're exactly right. When you invest at this stage, your first job is you're believing with somebody and then you're helping them think through the product position that you're going to do, like what to build, who to build it for, how are you going to find customers, how do you hire that team? Hey, you're having traction. How do you tell that story and how do you raise more money, whether the 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 A round, the B, the IPO. It's the same. It's that that's the you're you're really doing the work. The second thing that I would say is really a lived experience I had is how you do that work. So the thing that I do with people and that that we invest in is in that process, that founding team, they always know more about their business and their customers than I do. 100%. But I know more about venture than they do. So I can fit those two things together when we're talking about, should we add another, you know, go work hard and add another million in revenue from new customers, or should we go add another million in revenue showing net dollar retention? So show expansion of existing customers. We can talk about which one of those are more important. If we can go create that evidence point, which one of those is going to make it easier for us to, you know, find capital and grow the business. And so that's where the benefit of being involved, that very early work connected to like, well, what is that work? Isn't just making that company survive, and but it's to thrive because you get it on this right trajectory 
where you have the evidence points that say your company is going to be a marquee business, or you have the evidence points you explain to VCs that don't say understand an industry like the public sector or like climate. They might have not had as much experience in it. You can help explain it to them in a way that they can understand. Yeah. What are your typical check sizes, say, for you know seed and Series A? What are those uh, sizes that you're involved with, just so people know? Yeah, so we'll write our first check anywhere from half a million dollars to $6 million. And our focus really is on the very early stage companies. So this is either the typical seed round, usually the first check-in. We've actually built six companies internally, having entrepreneurs and residents come work with us and build businesses. That's our check size. And we're, we're almost always leading those rounds. What does that mean? It means like we're the, the largest check coming in. The second thing that we've been fortunate to do is, you know, a number of the companies that we were that first check into have gotten very large. So Androl is a large defense contractor. Vercada is a very large camera company. Sardine is a very large fraud business and, and on, fortunately, to quite a number. And when those businesses are scaling, one of the things that I really love was getting to be part of these companies, take that intimacy and carry it forward in time. One way to do that is to then write, you know, another five, 15, $50 million check into those companies in subsequent rounds. And so we do that as well. And we really only do that in companies that we were involved in very early. So we take the benefit of that intimacy, both understanding and founders wanting us to continue to be involved and then just put more money into those businesses. And, and that's a, it really is my favorite thing because you get to be part of the longer journey uh, of building these companies together. It just makes it that much more thrilling to be on the journey for a longer period. Yeah. And it looks great to the outside world. Ross, maybe walk us through your investment decision-making process. I'm fascinated by this part because when you're dealing with early stage companies, it's not a, hey, we'll we'll pay a price earnings ratio of whatever. Mm -hmm. This is really like, wow, how do you value something? How do you get a big funnel and then narrow it down? What's your process that you've learned over the years that works? Yeah. And to, be, to reiterate, it really is, it's like two women and a dog starting a starting a business, like that's what we're stepping in. Like they've got an idea and that we just want to be part of that journey. So the two things I'd say on our decision-making, the first is we absolutely cheat. Over 50% of the deals that we do are direct introductions from founders in our network. So we're really talking to people that are getting introduced to us because they have the characteristics that they would be a good XYZ founder. So we really get to cheat in that aspect. The second part is internally, we are looking for three things. And we have great evidence points that it's actually all three. Number one is just execution velocity. You know, I fundamentally believe if you move like a son of a bitch, you are always gonna be able to get to the next lily pad the next point of uh, inflection in a business. If you just, you know, it's like mom said, just work harder, you know, and you can get through a lot. The second thing that we look for is people to have a real deep lived experience 
that they're referencing and what they're building. So an example of this, we have a company called Rootly. Rootly is an instant management company. It's used by teams that have to manage uptime of websites and quickly respond to incidents to keep the Instacarts and the Figmas of the world online. And that company came out of a few folks that had built that for some very large businesses already. And that intimacy with the problem was the kind of thing that we want her back. And so we've done that in the security space. We've done that in the procurement space. We do that in the public sector space. And we think that there's the more rarefied that air, the expertise, the insight, the better off. And then lastly, so we're looking for the execution velocity, this insight. We also want there to be a macro shift in the market. So there's this old venture question like, well, why now, Tom? Why is this the, the company to build? The thing that we're looking for, the way that we phrase, I phrase that to folks is what's happening in the world that, you know, is going to make this thing successful whether we, you know, our surfboard gets on that wave, this wave is happening. This is occurring. And you can point to that, those changes. And the reason for that is it's just going to accelerate your success. It's going to accelerate the number of people that are going to be interested in that category. It's going to, you know, hopefully let you execute a little bit easier. It's going to help the velocity of your business. And so those are the three aspects we're, lo we're looking for in the people that we get to get to talk to is execution velocity against a unique idea and in an environment where the, the market's moving towards them. Yeah. You've obviously invested in lots of companies, I think in 2023, about 15 already. I see it every day. I'm sure you do. We're in kind of a weird economy, a weird macro environment. Feels like the world's kind of flipped on its head with interest rates and inflation and all kinds of like macro issues happening. Do you kind of Tune that stuff out when you're kind of writing equity checks in. And what kind of companies, if if any, kind of stand out to you in this environment? Companies that are kind of riding that wave that you talk about. I mostly don't think about the macro view because the price of a treasury bill right now doesn't matter to a company that we're going to raise capital for in two years, let alone go take public in 12. So... The, the one thing that does happen right now is pay a lot of attention to what are the characteristics that a company is going to have for when they raise that next round of capital in two years. What are you going to have to have proved and what money is available to you today and then to execute that, that business? So in, say, 2021, we're living in time of plenty. Give me your biggest idea. Show me you can use capital to, to capture that. Let's ignore someone that wants to throw a stone, at whether at crypto or some company that was overvalued. Just the world we're in is like, can you use dollars to capture every part of an opportunity? And there's some tremendous businesses, take Instacart, where... Forget the current valuation, your opinion on it. Just use dollars to, to reach an immense number of people. We probably used it twice yesterday. Now, I think we are much more in a show me not just efficiency, because for early stage companies, they're just not efficient. You're spending money to go build something and then get out to market. Show me how your solution is going to be efficient over time. Show me how it is a higher bar where that product needs not just be 10x better, but it needs to be 10x better and bought 
for that 10x better reason. The product not only has to be better, your ability to get that product to market has to be better. We have a really exciting business that we're invested in called Scribe. And Scribe is a productivity tool for folks that have to create instructions. So Tom, you want to show folks how you organize your post-production process and they make a tool for for doing that it's a tool that anyone can use lots of people lots and lots of people use it it has a very broad adoption using product-led growth motion think of like dropbox so sort of everybody can use it very successful business very efficient and therefore very able to get capital in contrast it's both great products and great products as they go to market so it's not just efficiency you ground it out you didn't waste any money it's you found a way for your unique product to really just have this tremendous pull and and that's the kind of businesses that are thriving right now and they're able to raise money right now generally speaking yeah and i would imagine as you get closer to subsequent rounds of financing one of your big skills is how to tell that story going into that next round, maybe translating, if you will. Telling that story has to be absolutely critical, obviously with the proof points to back it up, but a clear path to the the next round that's coming in. I'll give you two quick examples of that. Let's say that we're having a discussion about you, you know your upcoming fundraise. One thing we, we tell people, I tell founders a lot, is like, generally speaking, nobody cares about the past. All they want to understand is where you are and then where you're going to, to go and the facts of the past that support that. But on all honesty, nobody cares you did it super efficiently. Nobody cares that you worked really hard. And, and nobody cares is it quite right, but it's directionally right. They, they want to know like, where are we? And, you know, and why do I believe this thing is going to go super fast from here? The second thing is to do the work to explain the company in a way that the the next investor can understand it. So I'll give you an example. We do a lot in the public sector. Truth be told, there aren't that many people, relatively speaking, that have been part of big public sector companies. Um, Public sector being selling to the DOD, selling to Department of Energy, Healthcare, Department of Health and Human Services. Because there aren't that many people that are familiar with it, we're really quite specific in how we explain to venture folks how the dollars show up. Because those dollars show up usually quite large when you're successful and quite lumpy. Contrast this in, in enterprise, in public sector go to market, dollars appear differently. So you might instead show how a Half a million dollar contract is going to lead to a $2 million contract is going to lead to a $30 million contract. And the way you explain the risks in that contract in a way that that venture folks that are maybe more familiar with enterprise offerings, that they can understand the risks is really important. And so we try and give very clear counsel for that. XYZ has its pulse on emerging trends, seizing opportunities across developing sectors. I asked Ross what opportunities he's currently seeing in the early stage investing market. So there's some title shifts going on in the technology market right now. AI is the easiest one. And to go back to our previous metaphor, I really think it is title. So what does that mean? It means that AI is going to impact every single business out there, period. And it's very hard to surf 
a tide change. It's so ubiquitous. It's so broad. So there's many opportunities in there, but they're hard to, in all candor, they're hard to figure out. Some ones that have been really very exciting are where can you apply AI, specifically generative AI, to areas that were just not tractable, where you couldn't build a technology solution at all. So legal technology is an area of this where we've done a number of investments. The history of legal tech is actually a terrible category. Lawyers are not great at buying software. They bill for their hours, so they don't care about efficiency. Again, in the broadest sense, there are exceptions. Generative AI has probably changed that. Legal information is also highly structured. There's a lot of text to consume, a lot of value by generating text. And so there's, there's real opportunities there. And there are other things that are like that where you can really take the generative AI solutions and replace a lot of work that was done that was very rote, often very boring, and transform an industry. A second thing that I would point to is I think there's an opportunity to rebuild different enterprise products AI first. There are going to be some folks that are going to do some very different, a very different procurement product built on an understanding of the existing ones that just structured very differently. An example of this would be, take a support product right now, is sold per seat. It's like a Zendesk, a Salesforce. An AI-powered version of support should definitionely you should have less seats. Yeah. So you shouldn't be selling per seat. You can maybe sell some other way, this new solution that answers every question automatically. And so that's, that's the kind of shift that we're looking for. And frankly, Tom, we're very early in seeing those companies because this AI shift is still very new. Yeah. So you've got to see people that have expertise in these areas of application development then figure out how AI is going to be relevant and building it in. Yeah. Switching gears just a little bit, you deal with founders every day, and that's a very exciting thing, I have to imagine. What advice do you have for founders who are kind of going out to raise capital for the first time? The first time you raise capital, maybe every time you raise capital, is first doing qualification. So, you know, be very clear on who you're trying to reach out to based on sector, how many dollars you're raising so that once you're more likely to be successful in getting money. And also something people don't talk that much about so that you don't burn out all your energy. Like the reason salespeople do qualification is some so they're more efficient. But some is because it's just exhausting trying to convince someone that writes a $10 million check that they should invest in your $1 million company because they're just looking for different stuff. So I think qualification is a huge part of that. The second thing is the way that, make sure you're, under, you're explaining your business in a way where you can show the, the real risks that exist and how you're trying to mitigate those risks. It's rare that the problem is someone isn't ambitious enough. And it's rare that someone isn't hardworking enough. Yeah. Usually what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out how this ambitious, hardworking team is going to navigate where clearly the challenge is ahead in building something because building something new is so hard. 
And so the more you can be transparent of, we see the rocks ahead for our journey, but here's how we're navigating around them. Here's how we've done the work that showed that our solution is going to be successful, the better off you are. Yeah. That kind of uh, transparency it's, is so endearing. You've been doing this for quite a while, Ross. What exit are you most proud of and why, as well as like the key factors behind what made it such a success? The companies I'm most excited about are the ones that I'm surprised by. There's this company called Vercada. So Vercada, they're a security company. They make cameras like you'd have at your house, your school, your office. They make access control that would allow someone to come in and out of a building, sensors that tell us if kids are vaping. Tremendously successful business. Tremendously successful and so well run. Apple-like quality of products. I almost didn't do the investment. And it's because when I first met with the CEO, Philip, I was like, well, you're building cameras. And to build a great camera company, you have to have a lot of computer vision expertise. Because what's interesting is not just the camera, it's telling you what's happening and showing you alerts based on what's happening in the camera. And I'm going to pass on this investment because you don't have any PhDs. And so Philip says to me, he's like, Ross, what you don't realize is that everything that you think is hard in computer vision, telling you if a door is open, telling you, you know, if a car went by, you can now do as basically an undergraduate because of everything that has been made open source in the last two years by Google. And so that was a really exciting insight and we made that investment. That company has just continued to, in, to surprise me every day with the importance that they found of those cameras being easy to install. And so therefore having tremendous adoption, the importance of those cameras connecting to access control. So I can, I can tell you, tell me everybody in this school that doesn't work here and isn't supposed to be here and therefore driving additional product successes. So I've, I get so much joy in the unfolding of that. Now, below all these stories is just a tremendous amount of work. But in this story is that the team had this insight of like what was going to happen that was driving them. You'd call it strategy, but it doesn't do justice to people just like living on the ground, talking to their customers and then figuring out what to build and then being right. And that, and that's, it's really one of my, my favorite things. It just, it's tremendously exciting to see that original idea with all of its twists and turns, but play out to great success. And I, that just, I, I think that's really thrilling because that's something we both believe together and seeing that come to fruition in all the dollars is really exciting. Like it's actually happening. <laughs> it's like amazing. It's pretty cool. Well, it's easy to talk about all those those successes, but you know, sometimes I think the the setbacks can be just as important. How about a startup that didn't live up to expectations that you learned something from? So the way that I think about this is you want every company to, to become uh, as big as it possibly can be. That's what you want as an investor. That's what you want uh, as a founder. And I think if you more than aligned with a founder as an investor, if you're talking to them about the trajectory you're on, the capital that's necessary to prove things in what time frame, you can get a really shared, uh, a shared view. Like, is this company trending to success? Can we get more money or, or not? And so my experience is the best thing you can do both as a founder and as an investor together is be honest about like, are the investments playing out 
so that we are successfully going after this market? Can we raise more money or not? And I've been part of companies where the market has failed to show up. We had a theory and it didn't work. I'm part of companies where in the recruiting space, which has been really tough in the last year, where they've shrunk down really successfully, cockroached up, and they've lived and will live to fight another day, and they will they will ultimately be successful. But that was the hard thing that they needed to do now. And I'm also in board meetings today where we're debating, like, should we have the burn as high as we we do right now to capture a market next year? It's all the same questions of like, it's not all up into the right, but we're trying to figure it out. And the thing that's been most important is to be able to have an honest dialogue with your investors about what's happening, because that way you can solve problems. And maybe you solve that problem by turning that business around. Maybe you solve that problem by selling that business, but you do it with six months of runway and you can choose it. And maybe you solve that problem by being honest with your employees and providing a graceful path to be done. And then you got energy to turn around and do another one. The objective for lots of startup investors is to catapult a company towards unprecedented success at the earliest opportunity. But XYZ has embraced the approach that investing isn't about immediate results. It's a comprehensive and strategic process. They're committed to the journey with a focus on long-term success and sustainable growth over time. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank our guest, Ross, for joining me on the show today. He and his team are focused on exciting companies in AI, climate, and healthcare sectors, among others. Looking in places where others might not is generating tons of opportunities, and we're excited to see what comes next for XYZ. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.